Good evening, everyone. Welcome. This is Wednesday evening, I believe, the 27th of September. We began on the 8th, and we have Thursday, Friday, and two on the seventh day of the week. How was your day? Did anyone have a particularly difficult day? A truly difficult day. Anyone? That's how I have to check my friends in the balcony. All right, I don't see any hands. Well, God is good. And even if your day had been difficult, your presence here tells me that God brought you through it. And it delights God to bring us through trials because we see His goodness when He does that. Let me remind you of what will happen tomorrow. What have I been telling you that I propose to do? Have a special prayer for the sick, yes. And I've asked you to do three things. One, in preparation, because it's serious business. Preparation one, if you have done someone something wrong, find that person, please, and apologize in the name of God. He expects that. Healing or no healing, he expects that. It is better to go to heaven sick than to go to hell healthy. So please, if you've done someone something wrong, Find that person and say, listen, remember in 1960 or 1980, whenever it was, I did thus and so to you. I am sorry, and I ask for your forgiveness. If the person does not forgive you, you cannot control that. But be sure you ask from your heart for forgiveness. Pray first, so Lord, let this person receive me. Let the persons, let God soften that person's heart. Then say, I am sorry. Condition number two, if someone has done you wrong and you have been withholding your forgiveness of that person, call the person. Go to the person and say, listen, Jack, Jill, Johnny, here's what you did me such and such a time, but God has touched my life in so many ways he has forgiven me. I want you to know I forgive you. And three, whatever it is you and I are doing that is a sin in our lives at present, by the grace of God, let us repent and put it away. Because whether you believe it or not, this world has one problem. What is that? Sin. And there is one solution. What's that? Christ. If I go preach to the Eskimos, they have one problem. Sin. They need one solution. Christ. If I go to South Africa and preach to the Zulus, they have one problem. Sin. There's one solution. Christ. Now, sin may express itself in different ways, in different places. But the fundamental problem is sin in the life. And the only solution is Christ in the life. So and then, of course, I'm suggesting that we fast beginning after supper tonight until after the service concludes tomorrow evening. That one is not compulsory, but I recommend it. I will do it. So I hope some of you join me in fasting. We eat our supper tonight, and then we don't eat again until tomorrow evening after the service. Please don't bring your lunch to the service or your supper. You won't die. Just let the service end. Go on home. Then eat. You will be just fine. 
if you think you have a problem fasting, ask God, ask your doctor, because I'm not a doctor, but I've seen people with all kinds of conditions fast. And I told them, pray first, follow the conviction. They did, nothing happened. I remember this man in uh, Uganda. He never fasted in his life. He was diabetic. After a certain time, he didn't eat. He began to shake. For the first time in his life, he went 24 hours at least without fasting. And when he and I broke the fast in a restaurant at the hotel where I was staying, he said, Pastor, look at my hands. As steady as a rock. The Lord just brought him through. Clearly, God wanted him to fast. So you talk to God and do what he convicts your heart. Our subject for tonight, Jesus was no angel. Jesus was no angel. All of us, all of you visiting for the first time, may I see your hands? First time visitors. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Blessings on you. Balcony. Ha! In the balcony, I have some distinguished friends who are high and lifted up. Nice to see you. Anyone else? First time guests? All right. God bless you. Thank you for coming. Those of you who missed last night, may I see your hands? You missed last night. All right. I forgive you this time. Uh, try not to miss tomorrow night. What's our subject? Jesus was no angel. Let us pray. Dear Father in heaven, the work I'm about to do is holy. It is spiritual. And I am born in sin. And so, Lord, I ask you as an act of mercy, in the interest of your Son and his gospel, grant me your spirit. Help me to say the right things in the right way. Take full control of my mind and let me speak with sympathy but clarity and firmness. Bless the hearts of those who are listening, I pray. And Father, let us leave this place with a clearer understanding of who Jesus is and what he's prepared to do for us. I offer this prayer in his name. Amen. Go with me to Revelation chapter 13, reading verse 8. Our subject is Jesus was no angel. Revelation 13, reading from verse 8. If you don't have the Bible, share the Bible with the person next to you. Always good to have your Bibles with you. Revelation 13, what verse did I say? The Bible says, And all, and they, and all they that, shall, that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names are what? Not written. Where? In the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. The key expression is from the foundation of the world. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the book of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Let's go to Revelation 17, also verse 8. Revelation 17, also verse 8. The Bible says, And the beast that thou sawest was, and is not, and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit, and go into perdition, and they that dwell on the earth shall wonder whose names were not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world. When they behold the beast that was, and is not, and yet is. Here again we have for the second time the expression from the foundation of the world. Let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1. Timothy was an outstanding young man. God can do wonders in the lives of young men if they would give their lives to Christ. Somebody say amen. God can do wonders in the lives of young women 
if they will give their lives to Christ and say no to the powerful attraction of the world. God needs young men to be examples. He needs young women to be examples. Both sectors of purity and uprightness. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9. The Bible says, Who hath called us, who hath saved us, and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus when? Before the world began. Here again, we have a third reference to before the world began. Meaning that there was something that God had in place before the world began, before he made this earth and all that is in it. In other words, God made preparations that after he made Adam and Eve, if they should sin, but they didn't have to, if they should sin, he would have a plan in place for their salvation before the foundation of the world. But in order for Christ to save someone, Christ had to experience what the lost experience or those who were affected by sin. Now, there were two problems that had to be solved. Two. As we proceed with the subject, Jesus was no angel. Problem number one, God cannot die. And the punishment for sin is death. It applies on the earth. It applied in heaven. That is the punishment for sin. Everything else is a consequence of sin. The punishment for sin has always been death, not just hardship. That's not the punishment. That's the consequence. The punishment is death. The Savior would have to pay the price. But God cannot die. That problem had to be solved. Problem number two. In order to give us the power when we're tempted that we might resist temptation, the Savior had himself to feel what temptation was like. But the Bible says in James chapter 1, reading from verse 13, Let no man say when he's tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. The second problem was, God cannot be tempted. So we have two huge problems. God can't die, and the Savior must die. God can't be tempted, the Savior must battle with temptation. How were those two problems solved? There was one solution. The Savior would have to put himself in a position where he could both die and be tempted. I want that to sink in. Christ had to put himself, the second member of the Godhead, the one who said, let there be light, and there was light, he had to face the indescribable humiliation, knowing who he was, God, laying that aside because God can't die, to come in a condition that made it possible for him to die and that made it possible for him to endure and to feel the serpent sting of temptation. The answer was, Christ would take on humanity. And so Jesus Christ chose to become human. 
Now, we need to get some semblance of an understanding of what that meant for Christ. Remember when you hear the word Christ, you are referring to the King of Heaven. We are referring to the one, as I said earlier, who said, let there be light. The one whose very word has power to create. The one who naturally has life and is life. The one whom all the angels adore and before whom they bow. The one who commands the heavenly hosts. This Jesus, well, he wasn't called Jesus then. He took that name when he came to the earth. But this second member of the Godhead, equal of the Father, always existed. He laid aside that part of him, put that under the control of the Father, and he came as a human being. Now, Jesus had come as a human being before, before he was born in Bethlehem. Remember Genesis 18, when three men came to Abraham's tent? One of them was Christ. The other two were angels. And Abraham discovered that only after he had offered hospitality. And I told you last week, please be hospitable wherever you can, whenever you can, because you may, without knowing it, entertain an angel. So Jesus had walked this earth briefly in human form because he sat under a tree, or wherever he sat, by Abraham's tent. And what did he have for lunch? Butter, milk, and the calf that Abraham's servant had dressed. And the Bible says, Abraham stood by them under the tree, Genesis 18, 8, and they did eat. How would you like that? God sitting on the doorstep of your stoop and eating some Doritos. The second member of the Godhead, Christ. So he came, he took on human form previously, but that was not an incarnation. That was not good enough because while he had human flesh, he did not take on the human weaknesses then. Jesus came the way you and I come. And how is that? Through a woman. Now, don't ask me how. The Bible tells us the Holy Ghost did it. Somehow, listen to me carefully, God was put in the womb of a woman. I want you to think. It'll take time, but that's fine. Let me say it again. Many times we read scripture, we read so quickly, and on the surface, we miss some deep, deep things to thus consider. I said... Through the working of the Holy Ghost, God was placed as an embryo in a woman's womb. And he developed. This is, this is fantastic. He developed the very God who gave Adam and Eve the ability to procreate, subjected himself to that process. I know nothing about genetics or embryology. So I don't know what happens at six weeks. You know. And then three months. Then if you had some ultrasound, some method of that we have now, you could have seen the little thumb of Jesus. Maybe he was sucking it in the womb. 
Then you can see the heart beating. Then the features began to emerge. Four months, whenever it is. Then at the right time, after the appropriate gestation period, Mary gave birth as painfully as any other woman. And here, emerging from the womb of a woman, is God. <laughs> You're not dizzy? <laughs> Coming out of the womb of a woman is God. Why? He had to do it that way to save whom? You and me. No other way was possible. Did God go to great lengths to save us? Yes. To what length will we go to honor him? Can you change your day of worship from Sunday, which is not in scripture, to Sabbath, which is in scripture, for a God who did that for you? Can return a tithe to a God who did that for you and me? Can I lay aside downloading porn for a God who did that for me? And Jesus was born. What nature did he have? He had Mary's nature. Let's take a look at the nature Christ had. And this is a subject where one has to walk on tiptoes. But the Bible does not leave us blind. Go to Genesis 28. We'll read verses, verse 12 of Genesis 28. Jacob is running from Esau because Jacob has deceived Esau and his father Isaac. And Esau is mad. He is homicidal. He's murderous in his intentions toward his brother. So Esau, uh, Jacob, takes off running. We're talking about Jesus was no angel. Now, on his journey to, to Haran, where his relatives live, he is tired. He stops in a particular place to sleep under the stars. Verse 12 of Genesis 28, the Bible says, And he what? He dreamed. And behold, a ladder set up where? On the earth. And the top of it reached where? To heaven. And behold, the angels of God ascending and descending on it. Listen again. He dreamed. And behold, a ladder set up where? On the earth. A ladder has two points of contact. One on the ground, and one wherever you want to climb to. One end of this ladder touched the earth. The other end reached all the way to heaven. Now, go to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. We're talking about Jesus as no angel. We're looking at the nature Christ had. We're looking carefully, but we have to look in faith. That the Lord would give us insights of truth. In other words, when Christ came as a human being, could he understand what human beings go through? Whatever you're struggling with right now in the seat where you are, can Jesus understand the fact that you lost your father? The fact that you just lost your job? The fact that you, you, your spouse wants to divorce you? Can he understand that you? He, can he understand these things? All human beings in times of crisis, they look for someone who can understand and very often they bypass Jesus who understands better than anyone else because he passed through our shoes. John 1.51 Jesus saith unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Hereafter you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending where? Upon what? 
the son of man. What does that tell you immediately? What did Jacob really see in that dream? He saw Christ. That ladder symbolized Christ. Christ is the contact between what? And, but let's take a look at the earth. Let's go to Genesis 3. Genesis chapter 3. Our subject is Jesus was no angel. Can he feel what you and I feel? Can he understand? Can he sympathize? Genesis 3 verse 17. And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. You finish that verse. Curse is the ground for thy sake. And we can stop right there. The ground from which Adam was made was not cursed. When Adam was made, there was no sin. Are you with me? So the soil that God took to form Adam and Eve, and I say Eve because the rib that Adam gave for Eve, that came from the ground, that soil was untainted. It was blessed. Everything God made was very good. Genesis 1.31 The soil from which all of us come is cursed. Let's go to Genesis chapter 5. Verse 29. Well, let's read from verse 28. This is the genealogy of the godly line that descended from Adam through Seth. Genesis 5, reading from verse 28. And Lamech lived 180 and two years and begat a son. And he called his name Noah, saying, This same shall comfort us concerning our work and toil of our hands because of the ground which the Lord hath cursed. Let's go to Genesis 4. This is God speaking to Cain. Our subject is, Jesus was no angel. Can he understand me? No angel in heaven understands what it means to be tempted, like we are. They never took our nature. They help us, but they don't understand. Genesis 4, reading verse 9. The Lord God said unto Cain, Where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, What hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. And now art thou cursed from the earth which hath opened her mouth to receive thy brother's blood from thy hand. Next verse. When thou tillest the ground, it shall not henceforth yield unto thee her strength. Because of the curse, the fertility of the ground would no longer be forthcoming. God says, when thou tillest the ground, it shall not henceforth yield unto thee her strength. Why? It was cursed. Now let's go back to Genesis 28. Verse 12. Genesis 28, verse 12. And he dreamed. And behold, a ladder set up where? On the earth. The ladder represents Christ. What is the ladder touching? The earth. Tell me something about the earth. It's cursed. What am I saying? Jesus, when he came as a human being, he made actual contact with the scarred and corrupt nature that Adam and Eve passed on to you and me. 
The ladder was not hovering one inch above the earth. A ladder set up on the earth representing Christ, but it also reached the heaven. Come on, say amen. It reached the heaven. So Jesus, with this touch, he understands what you and I go through. With that hand, he grabs the power, and the power flows through him to us. Which means it is an insult in the eyes of God to say, I can't overcome this weakness or that weakness. We must never say that. That's an insult to omnipotent power, which is the only power Christ has. And I'm no electrician, but they tell me there's something you can use to control the amount of power in electrical current. I'm not, I don't know what it is. You know. There's no such thing. You know, Christ has one kind of power. That's omnipotent power. So Jesus touched the earth. The cursed earth. But he also touched the sinless heaven. And as the bridge between earth and heaven, it is across this bridge that you and I make it to heaven. That is why it is all about Jesus Christ. Why was the earth cursed? Because of? What is sin? And why is it Jesus never sinned? Because he never transgressed the law. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews 2. Reading verse 9, we want more biblical evidence that Jesus came as we are. By nature, not by behavior. Let me make that distinction. Christ was not as we are by behavior. That's because he chose to behave differently. And you and I, by his grace, can choose to behave just like he behaved. Hebrews chapter 2, reading from verse 9. It's in Hebrews chapter 1, the writer of Hebrews is making the point that Jesus was fully God. In chapter 2, he's making the point he was fully man. And so in chapter 2, verse 9, he says, But we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. Look at that description of Christ again. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor. Now, go to Psalm 8. Don't lose Hebrews 2. Psalm 8. I don't hear enough Bibles turning. I still don't hear enough. The few I heard are just being a little louder, but I don't hear enough. Don't try to trick the preacher. I need more Bible pages turning. All right, promise me you'll do that tomorrow night. The Bible is our safeguard and safety. Hebrews 2, Hebrew, uh, Psalm 8, verse 3. When I consider thy heavens, the works of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man? That thou art mindful of him, and the son of man, that thou visitest him. For thou hast made him how? A little lower than the angels. Go quickly to Hebrews 2 verse 9. But we see Jesus, who was made how? A little lower than the angels. The way the psalmist describes mankind in Psalm 8 verse 5 is the way. Christ is described in Hebrews 2, verse 9. Let's read verse 11 of Hebrews 2. 
For both he that sanctifieth, who alone can sanctify us? Christ. So when it says both he that sanctifieth, who is he? Christ. And they who are sanctified are all of what? One. For which cause he's not ashamed to call them brethren. Now we have family members we are ashamed to, to own. You know what happened to you? I've met family members, families who had family members. They did not want people to know that is my family member. In and out of prison. Always in trouble. Never working. A leech. And so no one wants to be associated with that kind of person. Jesus, the Bible says, is not ashamed to say the human race and I are brothers and sisters. And you don't get more scummy than the human race. And Christ, they are my brethren. That's what he says to the entire universe. Look at them, look at me. Verse 14. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Jesus, having taken on humanity, human condition, human flesh, human mortality, he suffered death. But through that process of death, he destroyed the devil. As I said, the devil is on death row, just waiting for execution date, and that's not far in the future. But there are some criminals who can still have caused trouble from the prison cell. The devil causes a lot of trouble from his cell on death row. His cell is the whole world. <laughs> you understand? So he causes trouble. But his sentence has been passed. And the date of execution is all that he is waiting for. But he wants to do as much damage before that date comes. Because the date is coming and nothing he does can change it. And Jesus, through his death as a human being, destroyed the devil. Verse 16. Our subject is Jesus was no angel. Here's where it comes from. For verily he took not on him the what? The nature of angels, as the King James says, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. Jesus does not come as an angel. The seed of Abraham. That's David committed murder and adultery. That's Bathsheba who joined him. That's Tamar, the woman who pretended to be a prostitute and had sex with, her, with, with, with uh, Judah. Though Judah led her into it. The seed of Abraham, that's Sarah. Not Sarah, Rahab. That prostitute from what city? Jericho. The Bible says he took not the nature of angels, he took the seed of Abraham. Wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, verse 17, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. Verse 18, for in that he himself hath suffered, being what? Tempted. He is able to succor them that are tempted. Jesus, in human condition, was tempted to sin. Christ, in his human condition, was tempted to follow his own way and not the Father's way. Do you believe that when the devil came to Christ, that it was easy for Christ to say what he said? 
when the devil presented him with all the kingdoms of this world and the glory of them, Christ must have been momentarily shaken. But to be shaken is not a sin. The sin is in falling. And Jesus resisted so fiercely. Go to Matthew chapter 4. I want to show you something. We continue if Jesus was no angel. Matthew 4. Let's read from verse 8 of Matthew 4. The account of the temptation, they also found in Luke 4. Again, the devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them and saith unto him, All these things will I give thee if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Then saith Jesus unto him, Get thee behind me, Satan, or get thee hence, Satan. For it is written, Thou shalt do what? Worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Now verse 11 says what? Then the devil does what? Leaveth him, and behold what? Angels came and why why did angels come from heaven why now to get a clue and i want you to use your thinking apparatus i'm not giving a conclusive answer i want you to think of what i'm about to say why would angels come from heaven and minister unto christ let me put a suggestion into your mind let's go to another incident where angels came to help christ let's go to luke chapter 22 Luke 22, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. In human condition, Christ faced every trial in his human condition. But depending on the Father, what do you say? You and I must face trials and tribulations in our human condition, depending on and holding on to divine power. That is the secret. Luke 22, verse 41. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast. And kneeled down and did what? He prayed. Saying, verse 42, Father, if thou be willing, do what? Remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not, but thine be done. Now, let's skip that verse. Go down to the next verse. And being in agony, he did what? He prayed more earnestly. And his Sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Now go back to the earlier verse. And there appeared what? An angel from heaven unto him doing what? Strengthening him now. Here we have Christ. In what condition? He is sweating great drops of blood. He's on the ground. He is praying. The Bible says it's a fearful thing for a man to fall into the hands of the living God. That point in his life, Jesus Christ had fallen into the hand of a living, angry God. It wasn't on the cross he sweat great drops of blood. It was in Gethsemane. Calvary was, I hate to say it, almost a piece of cake compared to what happened in Gethsemane. He sweat no blood on Calvary. They had to stick him for that. It happened in the garden. He, the pressure on the inside squeezed out the blood as he battled between going through this or going back. And so he asked the father, please, is there some way I can get out of this? But it's not what I want. It's what you want. You and I must live our lives like this. 
Lord, I, I want this and so, but only if it's your will. And the Bible says there appeared an angel from heaven unto him, strengthening him. If Jesus hadn't gotten help from heaven, he would not have survived Gethsemane. The humanity of Christ needed divine help. I say again, if Jesus had not gotten help from heaven, he would not, in his human condition, survive Gethsemane. So we see why an angel was sent to Christ in Luke 22. Now you go back to Matthew 4, 11, and you must conclude he must have been in a similar state of exhaustion. 40 days fasting, resisting these tremendous temptations. Christ must have collapsed on the ground after the third temptation and God realizing he could not take another one then sent some angels to him. Because it was in his heart not to yield to Satan's temptations. Listen to me. The Bible says God is no respect of persons. Now, Jesus was a person. Are you with me? What God did to help Christ, he is morally compelled to do, to help you if you come to that point. If you come to the point, Lord, I really want to resist. You know, I really want to go to that woman's house tonight. But please, Lord, you fall down, you pray. While you move in the opposite direction, God will give you all the help you need because he cannot do it for Christ and not do it for you because Christ was a human as you and I are and sometimes human beings need angels to come from heaven now we may not see them but I want to let you know tonight many times it is angels that keep us because God is merciful send his angels to help Christ in Gethsemane when he sweat blood, the pressure was so great. And in the wilderness, 40 days of fasting, no water, no, no bread. In a state of tremendous weakness and temptations that appeal so powerfully. The humanity of Christ could not handle it alone. Divinity had to intervene. God sent an angel. Are you under pressure tonight? Is there something bothering you? Are you worried about something that's coming down the pike and you see it? And you're wondering, am I in this world alone? The answer is no. Is there help from anywhere? Yes. And that help is from above. But let me tell you quickly, that help is for those whose heart and desire it is to serve God. Jesus Christ came as you and I, as we sit where we sit and stand. In our condition, Christ came. Why is it we fall so often? Hebrews 1 verse 9 describes Christ as Hating sin and loving righteousness. The secret 
of the success of Christ's life was the total surrender of his life to the will of his Father. And so Christ could say in John 8, 29, He that hath sent me is with me. The Father hath not left me alone, for I do always the things that do what? Please him. That must be the anthem of our lives. As weak as our human condition is, when we lay hold on Christ, we lay hold on all the power in the universe. And you lay hold on Christ by laying hold of his word. His word says, resist the devil and what will happen? He will flee. Now the Bible doesn't say he'll never come back. But he will flee for a while. And which of us does, does not deserve a break from the devil sometimes? Let the man flee. Give me a break to breathe. Take a deep breath. Then he'll come back. I know that. I resist him again and he flees. It is guaranteed. Resist. That's what the word says. Now you hold on to that word and you resist. As Christ resisted through submission to the word of his father listen to me many of us sin over and over not because there's no power because we want to sin now i'm not being harsh and hard i'm a sinner too but i'm saying if we would simply lay hold on this power that is available without cost we would enjoy victories that we now regard as impossible And so Christ came to show us what a human being can do. Christ didn't come primarily to show us what God can do. People already knew what God can do. They had never seen what a human being could do. Through union with God, they had never seen that. Jesus came to say, look, here's a human being with the fallen nature. Here's a human being subject to temptations. Here's a human being who can feel the urges of the flesh. The passions of the flesh. The infirmities of the flesh. Christ said, I came with that. Now look at my life. How is it possible for someone who has the infirmities, the weaknesses of the flesh, to live an upright life? By holding on. People look for every other way to overcome sin except the word of God. Because you don't overcome sin by taking the Bible and doing this to the devil or doing this. That's not the way it works. That's not the way it works. This must be in here. Not as a poem you memorize, but as a living principle in the life. And that's when the devil cannot overcome you or me if his word, God's word, abides in our hearts. I say as a living principle, the way the heart they tell me by electrical currents if the word of God is an electrical current in your soul living quickening power the devil cannot overthrow you there's a difference between making a mistake and being overcome but let me go so far as to say through moment by moment dependence on God you and I can come to the place where every time we're tempted, we say no. 
Now, doesn't that kind of life fascinate you at all? Are we not fascinated by a life of constant faithfulness to God? Is there nothing exciting about that? In the flesh that you and I possess, Jesus Christ worked out a sinless, flawless character. Uh, I'm reminded of Peter in Luke, uh, Matthew chapter 14. When Jesus said, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And Peter answered to him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. Matthew 14, verse 28. And he said, verse 29, come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. Now what did we have? We have Christ walking on the water. We have Peter walking on the water. And the water was as bumpy for Peter as it was for Christ. Or as bumpy for Christ as it was for Peter. Both men walking on the water and Jesus was not holding Peter's hand. How did Peter do it? By the same power that Jesus did it. The power of the Father. Side by side. How long they walked, I don't know. But here are two human beings walking. The Bible says the ship was in the midst of the sea, tossed with the waves, for the wind was contrary. That's what we read in verse 24. So the, winds are being, the waves are being tossed, and Jesus goes up on one wave, comes down, he vanishes for a while, comes up again. And Peter's doing the same thing. And they're walking on the water. By the power of the same God, the Father. And if Jesus had not held his faith in his Father's word, you finish it for me, he would have sunk. Now where is the edge that Jesus has over us? None. And that's not disrespectful to Christ. That's a glorious promise to us. No edge, no advantage over you and me. And I say again, the reason why so many of us are weak and defeated, we do not believe in what the Word of God tells us. My beloved brothers and sisters, as you sit where you sit and stand, and the power to deliver you from every temptation is available beginning tonight. Will you become perfect tonight? Absolutely not. But can you give God a heart that is perfectly determined to overcome? Yes. And once God has that heart, God knows out of the heart will come that perfect life eventually. Because everything starts where? In the heart. But we don't give God a heart that is 100% committed to living victoriously. When God told Abraham to kill Isaac, Abraham's heart was 100% committed to kill Isaac. And God said, it's okay. No need to do it physically. I see it in your heart. And Hebrew says, Abraham did sacrifice Isaac. Why? It was done here. And here is what counts with God. Jesus, when he came, he said, I delight to do thy will, O my God, yea, thy... Law is where? In my heart. Obedience comes from the heart. 
Disobedience comes from the heart. What is in our hearts tonight regarding the Word of God? Do we want to argue with it? Submit to it as Jesus Christ did. Accept it in its powerful simplicity. The Bible says in Hebrews 4.15, We have not such an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points. How many points? All points. How we did it? I'm not sure. But in all points, tempted like as we are yet. And that is the difference between Christ's humanity and ours. He chose never to sin. And that's why not one taint of sin lested on Christ. He had no evil propensities, meaning he had never so lived that he developed a sinful behavior. You know, there's some things after you do them for a while, you can hardly stop. Since Christ never did anything wrong, he never developed a bent towards particular evil. We do that. And so I may love to steal. Then you love to gamble. Some less loves to kill. We've developed through constant repetition of one behavior, we develop a leaning. But the principle works on the opposite side. Through constant resisting in Christ, we develop a leaning for righteousness. What do you say? Let's lead towards the cross. My beloved brothers and sisters, Christ did not come as an angel. Because no angel can be your savior or mine. They help us, yes. They help Christ, yes. But Gabriel cannot feel what you feel. You know who can? Christ. Gabriel did not have to fight the battle of temptation and so develop a righteous character. You and I do, and Christ had to do it. And so the Bible says, though he were a son, referring to Christ, yet learned he obedience by the things that he suffered. Meaning, as Christ learned to obey, the, 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 the desire to obey went contrary to his nature, which he inherited, contrary to the flesh. And so, to resist the flesh, you have to go through some suffering. If you fast tomorrow, you'll know what I mean. You'll feel the urge to eat, and simply saying no will put you through some suffering. So the Bible says, though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things that he suffered, but he received power from the Father to make it through the suffering. Professional athletes, they say they hate minicamp or whatever it is, uh, the pre-season camp, because there's so much sweating and hard work, but they do it. Why? For the glory that lies before them. Who likes to go to the gym sweating and perspiring on a treadmill, but because of what you see yourself becoming, you do it. Then we go through the suffering in the battle over sin. Why? Because we see the kingdom wherein dwelleth righteousness. And we want a spot and a place. And so Jesus says to you and to me, my brother, my sister, because that's what he is to us, a brother. Come to me. I will show you how to overcome as I overcame. And the secret is... Total, complete dependence on the word of my Father, which is also my word. Not just as a memorized poem, as a living, vital principle in the heart. 
A heart that is determined to obey Christ is a heart the devil will find difficult to overthrow. And so I say to you tonight, are you not tired of falling? Am I not tired of falling? Yes. There is a way to walk uprightly. Many times we say, Lord, I want this from you, I want that from you. Do you know how many things God desires to give us? The Bible says, no good thing will he withhold from them that do what? Walk uprightly. Walking uprightly simply means walking in loving obedience to God's word. Do you know there's no other way? There is no other way outside of loving obedience to God. There is no other way. Makes no difference how you argue with God and you bring research and statistics and papers written by godless scholars. It makes no difference. There is one way and that is live in obedience of faith to the word of God. Why reject it? There is no other way. It is the only remedy. It worked for Christ. In your condition and mine, it will work for us. I thank God for sending Jesus. I thank God for sweating great drops of blood so I don't have to do it. I thank Christ for dying on the cross so that I don't have to do it. But I have my own little cross on which I need to die. And that cross is self. That's the problem. Jesus felt it in Gethsemane when he said, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup. Nevertheless, not my will, that is self. And Christ had it. We have two wills battling, Christ and his Father's. He submitted his to the Father's will. That is the secret of a spiritually successful life. Submit our wills to the will of God. However attractive our will may appear, it is dangerous. It leads to death. Submit our wills to the will of God by combining our will with his, that his perfect power may transform our weak wills and strengthen them to act and behave in divine ways. Uh, how I wish I can get you to understand that even though we're in human form, we can live like God. I didn't say we can be God. I said we can live like God. The gospel is designed to transform us into people with whom angels would love to associate 24 hours a day. Christ was not an angel. He was as we are. And through dependence on the Father's unchanging, all-powerful, creative word, he lived a successful, victorious life. And the devil had no claims on Christ. Victory for you and for me can begin tonight if we will take into our hearts the example of Christ. Lord, I want to trust you and make your will my highest pleasure. Jesus died, suffered, and then he rose. And the power with which he rose is the power he uses that we may rise from sin. How many of you will say, Lord, in my heart, I want to be victorious over sin. Raise your right hand. Let me ask you out of respect, are you serious, yes or no? Stand up.
Lord, I want to be victorious over sin. Here's what I want you to do. Identify a sin in your life that has caused you problems. Identify it. And from tonight on, you and God go to work on that sin. That weakness. Tonight, you and God go to work on that weakness. Say, Lord, I've been selfish, stingy, I'm, I'm violent, have a short temper, I don't like to read the Bible, I, whatever, I lust, I do things I shouldn't do, read romance novels and have my mind all upset with lustful thoughts, whatever I do, Lord, you and I, beginning now, we will work on that weakness. Give me the courage to throw those books away. Or whatever else, those videos, let me cleanse my mind from that moral filth and give you a mind through which your spirit can work. Identify that sin and my sin that has tripped us or we have allowed to trip us and let's go to work on it with Christ through his word. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, in the name of Jesus, accept us now as we in our own weak way, having heard the truth, desiring to live by that truth, we come to you and say, Father, we are tired of falling and falling and falling because your word says now unto him that is able to keep us from falling. Help us to believe that at the very foundation of our hearts that you can keep us one moment at a time from falling. Do that for us through your word. Help us to hold on to the word through study and prayer and faith that the creative, all-powerful word in our hearts may give us the power we need to resist the enemy as Christ resisted. Please hear this humble prayer. We offer it in Jesus' name and for his sake let all God's people say, Amen. And amen. Those of you who have made decisions to be baptized or thinking about it, I just want to meet with you right here, right now, talk to you briefly, pray with you, and then you'll go. Thank you for coming. I won't be at the door. God bless you.